Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Whether you call it the Persian Gulf, as the Iranians see it from its eastern shore, or the Arabian Gulf from a western perspective, its waters have always been tense, with competing regional powers such as Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia, lesser ones, but still energy and economy powerhouses due to their oil wealth and world powers. But recently, calmer winds seem to be blowing in the Gulf, first with a Saudi-Iranian rapprochement helped by China, and now the resumption of relations between Bahrain and Qatar after a six-year break. Does it add up to a new and more peaceful phase in the unfolding history of the Gulf, or is it just a short pause before tensions resume? Joining us uh, to discuss this matter from elsewhere here in Jerusalem is Dr. Neil Bombs, who is a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us, sir. Also joining us from uh, the area of Jerusalem is Mr. Eran Etzion, who is a former deputy head of uh, Jerusalem's National Security Council. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Hi, good to be here. And with me here in the studio as ever is our TV7 editor-at-large, Mr. Amir Oren, host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more. Amir, give us a broader understanding of uh, an area where the sands don't seem to stop for one second. Did I get it right? Near is in Jerusalem, but Iran is near Jerusalem? Well, uh, it, was, it was inescapable. Indeed. Uh, now, uh, we always tend to put current events under the magnifying uh, glass, and we think that what is happening today uh, is earth-shaking. But uh, what you recounted regarding the rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Iran and then the Bahrain-Qatar resumption of relations uh, brings to mind the 1975 Shat al-Arab agreement between Iran and Iraq. So for one um, uh, reason, it was, of course, quite a twist in the plot. But, and the Kurds uh, were sacrificed by uh, the various patrons, especially the Americans. But then again, a few years later, it uh, changed again, and Iraq attacked uh, Iran for an eight-year war. Um, and the lesson is that um, what we see today may be a series of bilateral moves, which may or may not find permanence if conditions do not change. But the winds of change can blow in the other uh, direction too. So yes, uh, we should uh, analyze each of these moves separately, see if they have a common denominator, but not get too excited too soon. Dr. Bohms, Would you like to take it from here? How do you see current compositions in the Middle East, the greater Middle East for that matter, and the Gulf in particular, um, reshaping this region? Well, yes, but to continue uh, what Amir uh, began, we can uh, recount 1998 uh, agreement uh, for uh, economic collaboration between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Uh, There have been two other agreements that uh, followed suit. Uh, And of course, conflict that uh, uh, came later on. And and in some ways, if we're looking at two important words that we hear, certainly in the last few years, 
Uh, and certainly, I would say, uh, following the events of the Arab Spring, you know, the last decade in the Middle East and the Gulf, is the two words are stability and de-confliction. Uh, when it comes to the idea of de-confliction, well, they've seen a lot of lack of stability, a lot of conflicts. Is there a way uh, to deal with them? When, they, when the Emiratis and the Saudis in particular entered Yemen, uh, they entered to uh, prevail and, and deal with interest, and then they entered themselves into a conflict which they saw they cannot win. And therefore, they moved to a different strategy, which is let's try deconflicting, and, and let's try to create uh, a, an arrangement in where, well, we may not be uh, the allies uh, of dreams, uh, and we're not going to uh, uh, now become best friends with Iran, but perhaps we can deal with them on some more local and specific basis, um, and come to a, a point in where stability is going to be reached because the conflict in Yemen in particular uh, had brought uh, significant uh, you know, issues, including bombings in Saudi Arabia and in the UAE. Um, and so uh, the attempts of doing this can even be, if you want to zoom out, uh, can even be looked in the context of the uh, Abraham Accords. Let's figure out that we can actually speak with everyone in the Middle East and perhaps use leverages so that we can have a degree of stability, at least in our context. This does not mean that uh, uh, further empowering Iran and, and bringing Iran into center stage will bring stability in other places, but that's to some degree is perhaps a secondary uh, uh, problem uh, when it comes uh, to some of the uh, Gulf partners. And I think that may be the right prism for which uh, we need to look at this. Uh, they're looking at uh, some of these developments as uh, attempts to increase stability, uh, push the confliction, um, and that may even work, at least in the short term, and certainly for them, although it may have a price by uh, percolating conflicts elsewhere. Mr. Etzion, with optics of the United States withdrawing from the region, at least from the, the uh, Gulf perspective, at the same time, Washington and European countries divesting uh, heavily, even though currently with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, uh, not necessarily practically so, but from energies such as oil fuels and, and, uh, and gas and so on, while at the same time we have China and Russia, which are heavily invested in oil and, and uh, of course, uh, China becoming the number one client of Saudi Arabia, the leading Gulf nation, is this much of the latest developments, particularly within the composition of strategic power, that have impacted uh, the shifts taking place currently? Energy is always important, certainly in the Middle East, but I think there are bigger issues at play here, and if I were to zoom out and kind of give a whole, an overall framework to everything that was described in this discussion until now, I would look at two strategic triangles that in my mind are pretty much dictating all these events and others. One is the, the triangle between the US, China, and Russia, which you just mentioned, obviously beyond energy. It, it, it's a, a, a global power competition, as, as we all understand. And the other is perhaps little, uh, little less talked about, and that's a triangle of the non-Arab regional powers in the Middle East, namely Iran, Turkey, and Israel which Professor Asher Sasser decades ago already uh, prophesized that these, th this triangle, these three regional powers will dictate you know, the future of the Middle East. And I think he was right 20 years ago and he's, and he's right today. 
And if we look at those two, two triangles, what we see is, on the one hand, again, as you mentioned, the U.S., to a large extent, uh, cutting its losses in the Middle East and focusing on, obviously, China and the Pacific, but also because of the uh, Russian invasion on uh, the Russia-Ukraine overall European situation. Uh, we see a China which is much bolder and in Chinese terms moving much quicker. I think this is probably one of the more interesting developments to watch. Uh, we always knew that China is moving slowly with a historical perspective, um, not, uh, not pushing, but rather kind of waiting the world, if you want, to fall into its laps. And, and what, what's going on now is that there is, uh, at least in Chinese terms, somewhat of an acceleration, both in terms of what they did between uh, Iran and Saudi. Also, just the other day, the foreign ministry came out with a quote-unquote peace initiative between Israel and the Palestinians, not to be taken seriously, but just as another example of Chinese increased boldness and, and increased uh, kind of interventionist mindset again, by Chinese standards, not by, by American or, or Western standards. So China is changing its position, and part of it, yes, has to do with energy. Uh, Russia, obviously, is now uh, seen as a completely rogue, act, rogue actor, which was not the case until uh, uh, just before the uh, uh, Ukraine invasion. So in this triangle of uh, the US, China, and, and Iran, things are moving uh, and, and shifting quite significantly. And in the triangle between Iran, Turkey, and Israel, well, we can speak about Israel at length, what's going on here, which I think has uh, also a significant in impact regionally, perhaps more than some people would like to, to uh, imagine. Turkey uh, is involved pretty much in its, in its own affairs and uh, upcoming elections and so on. And Iran, uh, which I think is the more dynamic uh, element of this triangle right now, is uh, um, essentially, perhaps even one can say, uh, crossing a threshold. Not necessarily only on the uh, nuclear front, but on the more uh, overall strategic front, in terms of uh, their uh, regional profile, their regional successes, their, mm -hmm. own, their own perception as a regional power, uh, the fact that they were able to control, at least as far as we understand, the internal turmoil, at least for now. Um, and th they seem to be feeling, at least, that uh, they have the upper hand, if, if we can call it that. And I think that is probably what is pushing the other smaller actors, uh, especially in the GCC, to, uh, they're not changing their policies, but also adjusting, adapting their policies to these new realities. With emphasis on not only, and Mr. Owen, when we're looking at those two triangles, if I may use this uh, uh, picture, Russia, China, and the United States are embroiled in strategic competition. Russia, albeit in a secondary role, but still a heavy player also because of its presence in uh, the port of Tautus and uh, its airfields in Latakia, and also now it's deepening cooperation with the Islamic Republic of Iran. But uh, to what degree do we see the latest developments take hold because the Gulf has substantive funds and it is a backer of various states, including regional powers and global powers for that matter. Is that still a significant role also on the various developments that we're seeing here today? The inclusion of China among the world's great powers has changed the equation. 
because in the 1970s, um, when Sadat came to Jerusalem uh, and uh, went out of the uh, Soviet orbit, started even in 1973, but after Camp David, uh, he was obviously in the pro-American camp, and the Americans have started trying at least to set up what Iran mentioned, the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, which is really the axis of moderate Arab countries in the Middle East. This was an anti-Soviet alignment, which um, in the Gulf was based on Iran as the guarantor of the lesser uh, party's interests. Mind you, those uh, countries which later uh, signed on the Abraham Accords were only born in the 1970s as the British withdrew from the area. And uh, the Chinese are now um, as competitive with the United States as the Soviet Union was, with Russia, as we all said, relegated to a secondary position. But that caused other powers, which were not mentioned uh, up to now in our conversation, France, India. France is obviously taking a Gaullist position, uh, trying to move away from the American orbit to find some independent perch from which to look at the world. And um, President Macron has come out with some visits and declarations which um, uh, President Biden did not uh, find uh, too tasteful. India, too, is very important uh, in its dealings with the region. And Israel is bogged down not only in its domestic problems right now, but in its refusal to uh, make some progress vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians, which could have freed it to play um, a bigger hand in the regional game, because everybody else is waiting for Israel to take its rightful place among the bigger regional powers. And Israel, uh, unfortunately, is uh, still uh, tactically um, holding on to its uh, positions perhaps decades from now, looking back, um, at least the next generation will have reason to regret it. I think it's important to say about France that it is heavily invested in the Gulf. So is the United Kingdom and other countries. And of course, it seeks strategic autonomy, but it's far from a world power uh, in the terms. No, but, at least but, but France, and especially after Brexit, we can see the, the Anglo-Saxon world, the five eyes, if uh, you and want to, to put it in this way, um, and Europe, France and Germany, trying uh, for a middle position. Dr. Bohms, to what degree are those latest developments in the Gulf impactful to Israel's strategic interests, uh, regionally speaking, uh, particularly also following the signing of the Abraham Accords? Are these accords now in doubt? Well, these events are significant and uh, important. I don't think they cast a doubt on the Abraham Accords. Uh, I've been spending enough time on this, and I'm very much in touch with many players in the Gulf. I don't think they would like to move back from the Abraham Accords. Uh, but I think that if we had the trend at the very beginning uh, that, that had shown uh, much more warmth and even push for further normalization, I think we're now seeing a bit of a, perhaps a balancing act. 
that takes us to different places. To some degree, you can even almost argue that the Abraham Accords allowed uh, the Emiratis to now uh, open, uh, you know, two years later, almost their embassy in uh, Tehran, then the Saudis to follow suit. Uh, and that brings them to a diplomatic and political position uh, as those who are able to speak uh, uh, with all of the relevant parties. That certainly gives them a certain uh, uh, degree of uh, strength. Uh, of course, for Israel, particularly uh, the uh, strengthening of uh, uh, Iran, uh, the legitimacy given, uh, and then the uh, financial uh, incentives uh, that are connected to some of these renewed uh, relations, uh, it's very clear that Israel is going to pay for it uh, in the other fronts in, in where it tackles Iran. Um, Israel had tried very much so to isolate Iran. That has been really the, the crusade of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. And all of a sudden, as he is uh, struggling uh, with, with one of the most difficult political moments uh, in, in Israel, um, he sees all of that uh, uh, crusade really uh, kind of subsides. Uh, and Iran, uh, and then later Syria, uh, is coming back uh, to uh, to default into the Gulf community and broader into the uh, broader stage, and then the ability of Iran then to uh, project power elsewhere, uh, something that is not very good news uh, for us. So on the one hand, uh, this is that angle is, is dangerous. Uh, certainly, if anyone would speak now about the prospects of military action against the nuclear uh, plan, uh, in Iran, where the Saudis were supposed to be uh, potential uh, uh, quiet partners, uh, of course, that scenario becomes uh, slightly more uh, complicated. Non that, that dimension is uh, uh, very problematic, particularly to Israel. Whether the broader move will indeed bring deconfliction and some stability to the region, um, and then perhaps even as some of the Gulf partners hope, would actually bring Assad uh, of Syria closer to the Arab League, a little further away from Iran, uh, and bring more uh, uh, powers and forces toward a more pragmatic and moderate line, uh, that may have positive ramification, and time will uh, tell whether uh, these uh, hopes will actually materialize. Of course, I think it's important to highlight a statement uh, made by uh, CENTCOM commander Michael Carrilla who emphasized that there is a big difference between signing an agreement and implementing it, and of course Iran being a bad actor uh, will continue to support its proxies regardless of any commitments granted to Riyadh under the auspices of China. But I'd like to ask you, Mr. Etzion, when we're looking at uh, the meeting held or the trip uh, made by uh, Syrian Foreign Minister Faisal Magdad on April 14th, subsequently we saw also uh, the uh, foreign minister of Saudi Arabia traveling to Damascus on April 18th. Uh, there seems to be a substantive rapprochement uh, between Riyadh and Damascus, at least an attempt to do so, and also return Syria into the fold, uh, which, uh, of course, was deliberated in a meeting in Jeddah on uh, April 14th proper, uh, where the only country to actually object the return of uh, Syria into the fold, uh, where, of course, uh, uh, we had also the Egyptians and uh, Jordanians and Iraqis present, was Qatar, uh, which, uh, from what I hear at least, uh, seems to be more interested in seeing the normalization accord under Russian auspices between Syria and Turkey succeed, 
and maintaining that leverage, of course, in that context uh, will allow it to pressure Syria to make further con uh, concessions uh, for the sake of the Turks, which are obviously the natural partners and allies of Qatar. How do you see all of this basically evolve into a situation where we'll suddenly have once again uh, a clear Arab front vis-a-vis -vis potentially, uh, albeit not as uh, an, uh, not within the contrast of a true enemy, but Israel will then again be engulfed by uh, partners and allies that seem to be more aligned than what was the case just several months ago. Just one quick point before I address your question. I wanted to relate to something that Amir mentioned before. He spoke about uh, Israel paying a price for not handling, for not dealing or not doing any even gestures on the Israeli-Palestinian front and paying a regional global price for that. I think much something much bigger and deeper and darker is going on beyond that. And that is the actual uh, disalignment, if you will, or refusal of Israel to align with the US and the West on Ukraine and beyond and maintain a sort of non-aligned position, strategic position, strategic posture, like India, like Saudi Arabia, and like uh, many other countries. That is essentially what I think is going on. It has to do with, again, uh, the, the, the overall situation in Israel internally, the uh, uh, decrease in the democratic situation here, the rise of certain uh, hard-right, alt-right, deep-right elements uh, in our government. And I think this is, uh, again, much, much deeper and much wider than uh, just uh, refusing to deal with the Israeli-Palestinian situation. And we are paying a price for that and we'll be paying higher and higher prices if this is not stopped. So that's point number one. Regarding your uh, your question about Syria and the so-called uh, revitalized Arab Front against Israel, against Israel, first of all, uh, to uh, sli slightly jokingly, but not only jokingly, I think we can trust the Arabs not to align uh, substantially, strategically, uh, for as long as one can predict. There's not going to be any kind of overall Arab alignment for a variety of reasons which, which we all understand. It's not a coincidence that it never happened, uh, if you will, since 1967, and we can argue to what extent it did happen then. And, uh, and I dare to predict that it won't happen now. And the fact that Syria, yes, is, is rejoining the, the Arab world um, is not, does not contradict that. Because again, as we all understand, uh, neither Syria nor practically any of the other Arab countries are in any position to uh, really align strategically 67 style against Israel. That's simply not in the cards. What is happening though is, and again this is not new, but it is hardening and is becoming uh, a new strategic reality, is uh, actually the non-state actors that are uh, supported by Iran and do create, again, it's not a new situation, but it, it is being tightened, if you will, and hardened and, and, and does become more uh, hazardous as far as Israel is concerned around Israel. Obviously, Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, and a re-energized Syria, if you will, with the non-state actors acting there either at the behest of the government 
or even behind the government's back, it doesn't matter. But there are, you know, there are all sorts of those uh, bad non-state actors uh, acting in Syria, propagated mostly by Iran. Uh, we know that Iran is also looking to, uh, uh, to commit subversive uh, activities against Israel from Jordanian soil. Jordan so far is withstanding it. Um, and obviously the, the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, so we do see an, a non-state uh, realignment or alignment, if you want, backed by Iran. And that is the real threat that Israel currently face, faces. And, and it's much more, uh, shall we say, concrete than any kind of an overall Arab alliance. Strogan? Um, the nuclear issue was only mentioned in passing uh, um, in our conversation. Next month, uh, or re really um, later this month uh, in May, uh, in uh, Hiroshima, there will be a non-proliferation event. Uh, in which President Biden and many other world leaders uh, will gather. So obviously the Iranian and North Korean and Chinese and Russian uh, nuclear um, projects will be mentioned. But uh, one can expect that uh, the Arab countries and others may uh, raise the question of uh, whatever Israel has been doing uh, in this regard. So um, Israel will have uh, its work cut out for it if it tries to focus only in, on the Iranian issue, and not only because Saudi Arabia is also um, trying to carve a niche for itself. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program. I'd like uh, to hear just one closing sentence from each and every one of you. Dr. Bums? The confliction and stability may indeed do something in the Gulf, but what they will also do is they will export uh, the conflict elsewhere. And this is something that Israel uh, has a lot to worry about. Mr. Etzion? Unfortunately, the Israeli internal turmoil is hurting us strategically, uh, exactly at a point in time where Iran is gaining more and more strength. So the balance between Israel and Iran is shifting in the wrong way, and hopefully we'll be able to change course quickly. Mr. Owen? And uh, just to add to what uh, Iran just said, the relationship between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu is chilly. And the way to, uh, to have a thaw is for Netanyahu to go back on uh, some of his initiatives. Or not to poke the eagle until 2024, which is another option. No. But <laughs> Too late. Uh, indeed. Well, uh, I think that uh, for my part, uh, one can say, and it's safe to say, the Iranians should be concerned about the fact that the discussion about the nuclear agreement has been subsided. Uh, but uh, until next time, I'd like to thank Dr. Bums, Mr. Etzion, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank all of you at home as well. Until next time, shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.